Welcome to Decrypt, Asia's first blockchain and cryptocurrency podcast. I'm your host, Tushar. Each week, we take a deep dive into the Asian blockchain scene with investors, technologists, and industry insiders. Go to decrypt.asia to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Telegram to join in the discussions. Hi, KC. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Tushar. So I'm not sure how many listeners are aware of your background. You've obviously been in the space for a very long time, but you started off as an FX trader at HSBC in New York. Could you tell us about how you learned about the crypto ecosystem and what made you quit your job to build something in this space at a moment when things were still quite nascent? Yeah, absolutely. So I started this company called Bigix in December of 2014. Now, previously, I was working as an FX trader at HSBC in New York City um, for four years. Um, I was doing Asian NDF market making. Um, so during that time, when you have volatility in your products, you're looking for a good and efficient risk of hedge, right? Um, and it comes to mind that gold was such a product. Now, when I was looking at the Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency sphere, it was actually my uh, future brother-in-law that introduced me into uh, the Bitcoin space. So I got him to, to thank for this uh, introduction. Um, so I started learning about this uh, when I began my career on Wall Street, started reading up on it, and I took a class from this guy called uh, Anthony Antonopoulos. He's quite famous in the Bitcoin uh, sphere. He was actually a professor at the University of Nicosia. It's just an online course um, about digital currencies, what the very early ones um, uh, to do it. So when I took it, I was like, wow, this is going to revolutionize the entire world. Um, it's going to decentralize finance in quite a big way. I was like, okay, it looks like I need to jump into this space. And how can I contribute, right? So when I was looking in this space, Bitcoin, Ether, all of them had a volatility of, say, what, 20%, 40% in a day, even up to now. There was nothing that's really uncorrelated within this whole crypto sphere. So I thought, that, hey, why not just uh, try to introduce some asset bank tokens into this space? spoke this idea with my uh, brother-in-law, who is also the CTO of uh, Digix at the moment, Anthony, and we started this company in uh, December 2014, so, putting gold bank tokens into this space. Yeah. So before we jump into what you guys are up at Digix, could you very quickly summarize what Digix Global is and what you're trying to achieve? You mentioned a couple of small things and, you know, I mean, if I start explaining, it'll be a very long explanation, but I don't know. In, yeah, in, terms of like, in terms of like very quickly what you guys are trying to do. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So we put gold tokens onto the Ethereum blockchain. As simple as that. Okay. Yeah. Now, yeah. So, so the vision for that is to democratize the access to a safe store of value so that anyone in the world, as long as you have an internet connection or your mobile phone, you're able to have a safe store of value. Okay. And so let's start with the early days. You know, I want to kind of go in chronological order. Digis Global was launched in late uh, December, so de uh, December of 2014. You prototyped initially on colored coins and colored coins for some of the people in the audience who don't know is a way to represent and manage real world assets on the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, that failed. Could you talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah, it's quite some time ago. Um, but what I can recall is that the UI and the UX for, for using colored coins, uh, especially on a uh, counterparty, was just too wieldy and it was not very attractive. 
Um, secondly, at around the same time Ethereum uh, was coming up and it represented a bigger developer pool, uh, a, a bigger fan base and a bigger user base. So it, it just made sense for us to uh, hop on board. And you know, in some sense, we're glad we did because at this moment, we have about 1,000 over decentralized applications on Ethereum and uh, Counterparty, unfortunately, does not have the same kind of uh, traction as uh, Ethereum. And I think you mentioned in one of your interviews back in the day as well about how your CTO convinced you to switch to Ethereum. Um, so you guys did, you were one of the first ones to do a public sale on Ethereum, uh, raising $5.5 million in ETH at that point. Could you talk about that experience? I mean, there hadn't been any sales done. Um, so what was that experience? There was no precedent. What was that experience like doing the public sale back then? Yeah, it was really, really exciting. Um, why? Because we had no playbook. We had uh, nothing to follow. Um, we just did it ourselves organically. So we began by building a community in the uh, Ethereum Reddit forum. Um, started our own community in slash r slash digit. Um, started engaging with uh, some of the supporters of the project, supporters of the blockchain. Um, there was less than, I would say, 100 or 200 developers when we started, and the entire community was like five to 6,000 people that supported Ethereum. So it was relatively easy for us to get the uh, message of our product out. Um, I think people were excited about what we're building, um, simply because um, we did quite a bit of uh, organic marketing ourselves. Our CTO, for instance, set the uh, first live transaction uh, when the gas limit was raised. Um, on the Ethereum blockchain, and he did sign a transaction um, uh, with the message digits as well. So, so in some sense, we did everything ourselves. We did not have a budget. We did not have a marketing team. Um, it was just basically me and my two other partners in the business, Sean and Anthony, um, running everything. Being on the group chats, opening up our Slack channel, communicating, and telling them about this uh, project. So it was really a, a, a homegrown team of the garage. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, as part of research for this interview, I actually went to your Reddits and actually saw the Reddits close to your sale. And I see all your, uh, you know, postings and you replying individually yeah. to different people. And, you know, some of the people, so you, I recognize some of the people as well who were responding to the initial post on the sale. So one of them was Vitalik. Um, the other one was, uh, who's actually a mentor of mine as well of some sorts, Meher Roy, who uh, hosts the podcast epicenter. Okay. I, I don't, I don't know if you even, I don't know if you even remember this responding to that, but I, I saw remember the name. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but that was oh, very perfect. interesting. I mean, I went through all the initial, you know, um, postings that you had on Reddit on all, all the responses, uh, based on the queries that the community have. So, so I know mm -hmm. you're not making all this up. <laughs> Yeah, having said that, we're still keeping an open door policy. I mean, I still remain contactable um, by our Discord channel. Slack just uh, wasn't good enough for us and for what we need serving the community. So we, we opened up the Discord channel instead. I could be found there. Anyone could uh, direct message me anytime they want. I usually respond within 24 hours as well, even Anthony and uh, Sean. So nothing has changed. Um, we're still here doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the DGX token. So one DGX token represents one gram of physical gold. Could you talk about the end-to-end -end minting process to redemption, including the 
regular audits that you have on, on this um, physical goal? Yeah, sure. So I think we're the only one that came up with a supply chain uh, management protocol, uh, specifically for gold tokens issued on the blockchain, right? So we call it the proof of uh, provenance protocol. It utilizes two key pieces of technology. One, IPFS for the decentralized uh, distributed database. And second, iterant smart contracts, obviously. Um, so what happens is that when Digix purchases gold from a supplier, we take the supplier uh, documentations and the relevant receipts, upload them onto IPFS, take that hash and put it in a smart contract to complete step one of that supply chain process. Now step two is to move that gold bar into a uh, renowned custodial vault. So we are having uh, our gold bar stored in three locations at the moment. One in Brings Singapore, one at the safe house, and one at Brings Calgary. All right, so to complete the second step of the process, again, we collect the depository receipts, uh, inventory holdings list from these vaults, upload that onto IPFS and put it within the same uh, smart contract. Put the hash within the same smart contract, to be exact. So that completes uh, the two steps in this uh, proof of provenance process, whereby then we could issue gold tokens out onto the Ethereum blockchain. So, so in essence, this is a supply chain protocol that has to be fulfilled before gold tokens can be minted. And any user could just come onto our website, check out our asset explorer, and, and have a look at the list of our gold bars and the actual minting process that led to the DGX tokens. Yeah. Now, every one DGX tokens is uh, one gram of gold, which is uh, fully redeemable for the gold bars within the vaults. And, and how often would you be minting new DGX tokens? Is there some sort of roadmap that you have that you know or some sort of um, goal that you have in terms of how many DGX tokens you want to be minting over the next you know say year or so or, um, yeah. or is that going to ramp yeah. up over a period of time? Yeah definitely it takes a lot of moving parts to scale this business uh, first and foremost is to be listed in, in some of the bigger exchanges um, at the moment we're listed on Bitfinex so if anyone wanted to buy these tokens they could do so at Bitfinex but Definitely looking for uh, the, um, more top-tier exchanges to list our uh, tokens. We're on a couple of EEXs as well, like Hybrid Network, and that's also a good place uh, for liquidity in EGX. Now, my target for this year is to uh, scale our business to have at least $50 million worth of gold uh, within our vaults. So that's about approximately one ton of gold within our vaults. At the moment, we have 0.1 tons, so we're 10% of that uh, target. Um, the way to scale this is to convince and to hopefully entice ICOs or people who have raised money on the blockchain to swap them out for something much less volatile, um, like DGX itself. So, so we're working with uh, one specific ICO from Singapore, uh, called Endorse, who has decided to uh, switch uh, some of their ethers out for DGX. So that's uh, one, one of the demand side that uh, we're looking to uh, solve as well. Now, when it comes to uh, the supply of EGX on a daily basis, anyone could buy up to uh, five kilograms in a specific day. Now, we keep quite a sizable inventory. Every time it dips below a certain level, we would continue to purchase that inventory and replenish it in our marketplace. Now, gold tokens and um, gold bullion itself in Singapore is relatively uh, available. So if anyone wanted a sizable order, all they have to do is just contact me personally. Um, on our support page, uh, contact the company, and we can arrange that deal for you. It would take approximately two to four working days if you wanted a large amount of EGX. 
for us to come through the whole supply chain process of uh, buying those gold bars and then putting it into safe storage for you. Yep. So let's talk about the demand side since you brought that up. So beyond, you mentioned an ICO company that is looking to hedge their treasury through uh, through the DGX token. But beyond that, who are the other DGX holders? Did you have an idea of who the demographics are? Is it, you know, uh, individuals who are kind of, you know, playing around with DGX who hold some of it? Or is it some of the institutions or high net worth individuals who are holding on to these uh, DGX tokens? Yeah, we, we kind of depend on the growth of the uh, decentralized application and network. So case in point, 10x and token current should be live sometime this year, uh, which means that our gold tokens itself will be spendable um, in the very near future. You can walk into Starbucks with your crypto debit card and pay with our DGX tokens. I think that's very neat. I think that's uh, uh, coming really, really soon within the next uh, two to three quarters. So, so in some sense, if people don't believe in the value of fiat currency um, because of all the uh, monetary easing that's happening, hyperinflation that could happen and because of that, um, therefore gold and DGX becomes a way to, to be a store of value. So that's uh, one, one demand that I see that might uh, actually come. Um, the other demand side that I see would be the, the, uh, the traditional gold bucks who are looking for an easy way um, to liquidate your um, gold bars in storage, right? Because right now, these bars are just sitting in storage, incurring a negative cost of carry um, because you have to pay for insurance and warehousing fees. And when you sell them for cash, for liquidity, uh, you would have to pay a costly transaction fee as well. Now, wouldn't it be great for them that if they could then turn these gold bars into spendable DGX where they could liquidate them anytime they want? Hence, we have this uh, partnership with uh, Silver Gold Bull um, to actively help to market and, and bring this uh, new idea and evolution of uh, traditional gold um, back into the minds of the uh, traditional gold bonds. Um, last but not least, you have the uh, cryptocurrency users who, again, might not choose to believe in uh, centralized currencies like uh, the US dollar and would choose to hedge their profits or their holdings into something stable like DGX instead of uh, USD. So, so these are just a little snippet of uh, some of the demand side that we see coming in 2019. Yeah. So you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, briefly about the transactions and maybe, you know, some of the vendors actually accepting DGX token as payment. Uh, all these benefits actually accrue to the DGD holders. Yeah, that's right. So, so what happens is that with DGDs, um, it's a, it's a digix DAO, right? Digix DAO, it stands for digix DAO. So yeah. DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. The idea is that DGDs uh, would play a very crucial role in growing the volume of DGX. Why? Because they are given the opportunity to vote and to approve or reject proposals being sent to DGX DAO. So the whole purpose of DGX DAO is to grow the volume of DGX, right? Why, why is there an incentive to do so? Um, because as you cast your votes, as you do work for the DAO, you get rewarded in DGX tokens. So I guess the follow-up question is where do these DGX tokens come from? Right? So um, in DGX itself, every time you do a transaction with DGX, there's a 0.13% transaction fee. Now that 0.13% uh, of uh, transaction fee on what you've sent goes to DigitStyle as part of the reward pool. 
So as long as you exercise your uh, discretion and, and the work needed to vote on proposals that could help spur the volume of EGX, uh, you get rewarded a portion of that uh, pool of transactions. Okay. If that's yeah, uh, that makes sense. So let's talk about the DAO a little bit. I think you've deployed the DAO on the testnet recently, and there were some interesting proposals. I was looking, going through the proposals uh, that are currently in play. How do you think the DAO plays out in the longer term? So I know the DGD holders have certain rights and responsibilities, like you mentioned, right? So uh, in terms of rights, they get a percentage of the transactions um, that happen. Uh, and in terms of responsibilities, they need to take part actively in the governance of the organization. Uh, but what do you think, yeah. how do you think uh, this, this DAO will play out, um, you know, over the next, once it does go live over the next year or so, uh, do you have any predictions? Do you think it's going to take one, uh, one direction over the other? Any hypothesis that you have? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, yeah, it's not going to be next year. That's a bit too long. We're, we're trying to push for the, the DAO to be live uh, end of Q1, fingers crossed. And uh, with regards to some of the threats and vulnerabilities of any DAOs in this space, yeah, definitely, that's a concern. So we're trying to move as carefully as we can. We're about to be uh, deciding on the safe kind of limits per proposal uh, when we initiate the DAO in Q1. So for instance, we still have about 400,000 ethers in uh, DigiStyle, um, but for Q1 itself, maybe only a percentage of it will be allowed for proposals, because definitely there are chances that some proposals turn out to be scammed, right? You see that in other DAO governance, such as uh, Dash, uh, where proposals were, were being made, uh, Dash coins were being given, and the project just doesn't fly, either because it failed, which is okay, but it could always be a scammer trying to call for funds and just absconding with um, the ethers or the measurements. So we are well aware of that happening. And so we're just moving it step by step with some safeguards in place to make sure that these things don't happen as we launch the down. It's a work in progress. It depends uh, very much on the community who we have as DGD token holders and how we uh, properly uh, curate moving forward. And that's why it's still an experiment after all. Yeah. to see decentralized governance. Yeah, I mean, you know, while you were saying that, this question popped in my head. And so basically, you know, say hypothetically, I come up with a proposal and uh, I write a really good proposal and all the DGD holders think that, you know, uh, this is something that would be great for the entire Digix uh, ecosystem. Uh, mm -hmm. But then I don't, you know, what is my incentive after I've received uh, the funds to actually follow up on the proposal that was put through? What, what is my incentive? So, so we have uh, staggered it such that you have milestones to achieve to be able to unlock the second portion of what you're requesting. For instance, that's one safety net. Um, secondly, um, but not least, is that there's a reward for the completion of the project um, that you are allowed to fill in as well. So if you're successful, you get to unlock milestone two, and perhaps even get the reward that everyone agreed upon um, when you propose the project. Apart from that, there's a, there's a cost as well to submit a proposal. So at the moment, we have set it at uh, two ethers and one VGD that it needs to be staked to be able to submit a proposal um, to be voted upon. Okay. 
Um, so another topic that I wanted to talk about, you know, staying on this topic is, uh, so there's been talks of staking the ETH in the Digics treasury to essentially increase the amount of spendable ETH that the BGD holders will have at their disposal. So, you know, do you think this is something that, that will go through or this is that this is something yeah, that will be absolutely. happening in the BGD ecosystem? I believe so, especially when Casper comes around, um, when proof of stake comes around, then this could be an exciting option um, to do so. At the moment, I know that there are a couple of uh, lending platforms and staking platforms, but yeah. um, after all, the, the responsibility is uh, still to digit style, right? If I left 400,000 ethers onto, say, Celsius Network or, or a compound finance, um, that's a chance that it might be had. If I left 400,000 ethers into an exchange, for instance, like uh, Quadriga, it might be hacked. Um, so it, it, it's really uh, dangerous in, in in this case to uh, to entrust all that ethers into a another project at this moment. However, having said that, if uh, Casper comes around, then there would definitely be a, a a way to do that without risking funds. So yes, I would uh, I would just answer yes. Um, it would happen, but it takes time when uh, POS is out. Yeah. And is there a way, I mean, I don't know if this is even a possibility, but I mean, and I don't know if this is this thought, I'm sure it would have crossed someone's mind at some point, but is there a way that a BGD holders could vote to send themselves all the ETH that is locked up? Yes, um, there is a way to do that, but we have instituted what we call a PRL. So it's a policy and research legal division, a regulatory division. Okay. Uh, which uh, prevents proposals like that, malicious proposals like that from passing. Okay. And, and who's controlling the kind, I mean, so this PRL team sits within the Digix Global Foundation or company, right? Yes, that's right. So I guess this question also stands from our perception of what a DAO is. Um, everyone has the uh, general idea that every DAO should look like the DAO. Uh, which are massively flopped in uh, 2016, where it encouraged, um, you know, a very, very democratic, democratic way of uh, voting, of uh, having um, a voice in, in, in uh, managing this whole decentralized uh, fund. I, I think history has proved that this doesn't really work. Um, so, so right now you're seeing a lot of different kinds of DAOs, even though they're called DAOs, but they have a different spectrum. Uh, when it comes to voting power and when it comes to governance, just so that uh, the project will, will remain alive and remain sustainable. Okay, so essentially what you're trying to say is there's some degree of centralization. Um, and yes. then once, once the organization proves to be robust, you'd want to um, slowly move towards being a little bit decentralized. Yes, that's right. Um, MakerDAO does the same thing. In, in fact, more of the prominent DAOs do the same thing. I think uh, building a fully a full DAO DAO uh, takes a lot of time. Uh, it's an evolution. Uh, it's not something that comes out overnight. So, for instance, right when we when we launch uh, DigiStar Live sometime end of Q1, um, the the best way to judge who is the most beneficial to the DAO, who is the most for uh, the objective of DigiStar. We can't base it off anything apart from the stake and the amount of EGDs that each participant holds, right? So in a way, it's like whoever has more EGDs 
uh, has more say in the DAO to start. Yeah. Is that fair? Is that reasonable? Um, people are for and against this idea, but this is the only logical way for us to actually start the DAO. Because if you had more at stake, you would definitely think about uh, We assume, for sure, uh, it's not a real conclusion, but we do assume that they have a better incentive uh, to work beneficially for the DAO. So that's step one. However, uh, we, we try to evolve this idea with the ideas of uh, reputation points. So every time you do an action for the DAO, whether you vote or you endorse a project, you get something called reputation points. So the idea is that as the DAO matures, your reputation points go up and go down depending on your participation level. And that helps to bring down the uh, prominence and significance of uh, having more DGD tokens and having more safe. So it makes it much more fairer, you know, where the people who partake in the DAO much more often um, and shown to be a good actor, we get uh, much more of a voice as the DAO progresses every quarter. But it's an evolution to say, um, monocracy to epistocracy, if anything. Yeah. Where I, if you get more knowledge, you, you could uh, have a bit more say. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's, it's a conversation I've had with multiple people as well. You know, what you just mentioned, like, for example, you know, we elect members of parliament um, in Singapore and, and they are the ones who actually take votes on some of the bills that are put forth. Um, and, and typically, you know, even if it's say if it's an education bill, but someone who's an expert in defense still gets the same amount of vote. So it's one man, one vote um, in the parliament. Um, whereas, I mean, so it's, it's an interesting sort of political and, you know, ethical, I guess, moral question of whether should the experts in the field have more of a yeah. say in uh, versus, you know, the entire one man or one woman with one vote. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this has been um, argued for centuries. I mean, Plato started arguing about this um, with his book, right, called The Republic. Uh, he was against democracy. Um, he was against not rule. Um, there are new books being written, uh, even up to now, um, which I've just read, actually. Uh, it's entitled Against Democracy. So um, democracy doesn't really work in, in, in um, a lot of situations. If you had everyone um, voting on the same level, uh, regardless of them being an expert or not, then there's a chance for uh, things to uh, devolve um, into an immature and aggressive level. Yeah. Um, so I want to get your take on the broader ecosystem a little bit. You know, we've talked about Digix and the DAO. Um, in 2018, there's been a lot of talk about STOs and putting real world assets on the blockchain. You were obviously a little bit ahead of the curve, but you know, you started this process and you were already thinking about doing this um, all the way from 2014, 2015 onwards. Um, what do you make of all this current hype? The current hype and sorry, the question was? Uh, of uh, regarding STOs, right? Security of token STOs. offerings. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I think Definitely, I think uh, security tokens would make it much uh, more liquid for the issuer to, to, uh, to sell their assets, even for the primary investor to partake in the uh, STO. However, having said that, I think the cost of uh, complying with regulations would still 
be significant. I'm not sure if there's actually cost savings involved when, when launching an STO uh, compared to doing it the uh, normal traditional way. Um, the other question uh, concern I have is that whether there would be all of a sudden a bunch of accredited investors or high net worth individuals who are interested in um, purchasing these assets in the uh, secondary marketplace. So again, we have liquidity issues and the cost of compliance may not be there. But having said that, maybe within the next five to 10 years, things might change. So definitely starting now is better than later. Yeah. Um, so the decentralized finance movement or the DeFi movement as it's called has also started gaining traction. And, um, you know, so today there's ways to transact with decentralized stable coins, lend or borrow assets, speculate with your assets, trade, get insurance, all in a decentralized, trustless manner. And so Digix would sit very well within this entire ecosystem. Could you talk about a little bit about what your thoughts are on this entire movement and, and if at all Digix is going to be involved with some of the projects that are part of this movement? Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're having talks, um, especially with Maker at the moment. Um, I, I kind of knew Rune when I first started this company. I first met him in New York City in 20, like early 2015. And we started our projects at the same time. But um, so, so having said that, uh, we are definitely looking into being incorporated into the multi-collateral CDP, uh, which means that these are actually die-backed gold tokens. Yeah. How cool is that, right? I mean, like yeah. these dollars are actually backed by gold, right? At least you have something to fall back on. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I think there's a lot of synergies in this space. Uh, it requires us to work with as many partners as possible. Definitely working with us, um, the likes of Celsius Network, uh, Compound Finance, working with all the exchanges would definitely help our project grow. Uh, we need all of them to survive. Um, so, so definitely we're working hard towards these uh, integrations and partnerships. Okay. Um, so I think, you know, that's been a fascinating conversation before we wrap up, you know, I want to do a quick rapid fire, just get your quick thoughts, uh, quick statements, you know, not, you know, don't think too much about when I you know, say these phrases, um, you know, a couple of things. So, um, so it's, it's like family guy, huh? I would just say something <laughs> random. Yeah. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> uh, we can take it in whichever direction you want to take it. In. Um, All right. So number one, uh, the, the more than 400,000 ETH that is locked. It's less than 400,000 now. It's, uh, it's about there, but not more than 400,000. Monetary Authority of Singapore. Yeah, it's great. They're very receptive uh, to blockchain technology. And we always engage in uh, chats with them as best as we can. The 1.25 million seed round that was led by Global Brain and Finbushi. Very useful because they are strategic partners and they open doors to corporates that would otherwise not speak with us. The broader crypto ecosystem in 2019? It's going to be a winter and it's going to be the rise of asset backed tokens and stable coins. All right, Casey, uh, that was, uh, it was a pleasure to have, have you on the show. Um, thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you as well. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Telegram, and subscribe to our newsletter on decrypt.asia. This is your host, Tashar. Thank you for listening.